0: This is episode 22 with Lucia Capaccioni, and today we are talking about how you can heal your inner child and embrace the true you through expressive arts therapy.
1: That's why that book is so important, Recovery of Inner Child, because if we don't have a protective parent to stop anybody who says, oh, why are you feeling sad? Or you shouldn't be afraid? Or what's wrong with you? Why are you angry about that? Nobody has the right to question our feelings. Our feelings are our feelings. There's nothing bad about any emotions, ever. Hey moms, are you tired of being tired? Or maybe yelling
0: at your kids? Or maybe you need to know how to get your strength back postpartum? Or learn to manage your stress trying to do it all? Or just to become a more confident mom? If so, then welcome to Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired, I'm Christiane Bégin, a mother of two, sharing inspiring conversations with wonderful people on how we can be mentally and physically stronger moms, and also including freshly squeezed ideas, a little bit of fun, so you can learn how to find balance and also how to raise strong, caring, confident kids in today's world. So if you're ready, let's get started hi guys welcome to another episode of citrus love podcast you are in for a treat today we've got one strong mother and a powerful speaker We'll be talking about reparenting the inner child and kind of getting in touch with our true self, journaling and art and the art of healing and to awaken our inner child, the playful, creative and spiritual child within all of us. It's safe to say that a lot of people don't necessarily like to talk or are even aware of their inner feelings sometimes because we get busy, we get distracted and sometimes what we treat truly want and feel we don't always know what we're feeling it gets stuck wrapped inside of us maybe for many reasons we might be embarrassed maybe we got yelled at maybe we're ashamed abuse as a child we felt inadequate and maybe you feel you're not pretty enough smart enough strong enough not a great mother whatever the case may be sometimes we feel disconnected or lost So like mothers juggling lots of roles, lots of responsibilities, lots of mixed feelings. Lucia Capaccioni is known for drawing her stress away. I even had her on my Facebook page, Citrus Love blog, where we did a 30 minute session and she took it through how to draw my stress away through drawing. And during this time, this is such an easy way you can use and any other time. And even with your kids as you'll learn in this episode. So go to my Facebook page, Citrus Love Blog, to see how she does it and the steps to draw your stress away. And it's going to be one of the featured videos. So today, oh my gosh, you better hold on because Lucia Capecchioni is not afraid to speak her truth and she gets really honest in this episode she didn't hold anything back we talk a lot about her book which i've read recovery of your inner child and we talk about motherhood these days she even mentioned that as parents there's only two books that you really need so we talk about those and of course with COVID-19 we had to talk about that too and how her techniques and her methods will help you during this time and she talks about what she thinks is the meaning behind what's going on in the world today. If you're a mother you definitely don't want to miss this one. So who is Lucia Capecchioni? She'll explain it in this episode but briefly her journey started as a professional artist, then turned Montessori trained child development specialist, turned registered expressive arts therapist. And she is a pioneer in the expressive arts therapies, which she has started over 35 years ago and been teaching, consulting, educating people all around the world. She has a professional certification training in her innovative method. She has also written 23 books translated into 20 languages, including uh, the one which we'll talk about today, Recovery of Your Inner Child, as well as creative journals for parents for kids for teens another book the power of your other hand hello this is my body talking drawing your stress away the art of emotional healing visioning 10 steps to designing the life your dreams She presents her highly acclaimed methods of using the non-dominant hand to access the right brain, emotional expression, intuition, and creativity. Lucia's methods are being used worldwide in education, therapy, and life coaching. Today we'll talk mostly for mothers and as a parent, but her methods can also be used and apply for cancer support groups, school systems, care centers, spiritual retreats, for men medical centers, drug and alcohol treatment centers, prisons, business, mental health programs, spiritual retreats. Like she covers everything with her books. Her methods are universal. They can apply to each and every one of us. She has consulted for corporations, Schools throughout the U.S., Canada, Italy, UK, Australia, and Mexico. One of her previous customers include Walt Disney Company and Walt Disney Imagineering. You might also know the author Melody Beattie author of Codependent No More. She knows her and she's endorsed her book as well as American best-selling motivational author Louise Hayes. So without further ado, let's listen in on this powerful conversation. Welcome Lucia. Thank you for being on Citrus Love podcast today. We are focusing on one of your art therapies and a book you've written on the topic that I've read and absolutely loved. And that's Recovery of Our Inner Child and also about learning to embrace our vulnerable side and about your expressive arts therapies, which has been so fascinating to learn and read about and practice. I actually practiced the inner child drawing, which at first it was uh, difficult. Let's get right into it. So to put our listeners in the context of what was going on in your life when all of this started for you, I want to go back to what was. Was happening right before you were diagnosed with an illness and a lot of things in your life was happening. You said that success had pulled you outwards with the pressures of work life.
1: Well, in the 60s, um, I started the 60s as a professional artist. About three or four years into that decade, I had two children. I gave birth to two children 15 months apart. And um, so I was fascinated with these babies and I was very concerned about their education and their upbringing because I hadn't studied education before. I was, I had a degree in art and I started reading Maria Montessori and her method of self-directed learning in in a prepared environment with materials that she had designed that was based on the premise that inside each child, there is a guide. And if that guide is honored, then the child will gravitate toward what they need to learn at that given moment. They'll be motivated. They'll go and choose the material that they're attracted to, and they'll use it. And discipline problems are not an issue because the child is being motivated by their own inner guidance. And that's a very important principle that I really learned from her. And I wanted my children to have that kind of education. So I put them in a Montessori school when they were old enough. My husband and I sent them to Montessori school. Well, I got so fascinated with what they were doing that I decided to take the Montessori training. And when I became a Montessori educator, without ever planning it, I became wildly successful right away. (laughs) While I was still in training, I was hired to be a Head Start director. So that's a federally funded national preschool program. And not only was I put in a classroom, I was put in charge of 12 centers. And I was 29 years old. I went from uh, being a trainee, uh, an administrator in less than a year. It was like, wow. And so I became very successful at that. But without realizing it, my marriage was teetering. And at the same time, my father was starting to have nervous breakdowns. He was bipolar. They called it manic depression in those days. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching my parents who had been married at that point for about 35 years. They're just coming apart at the seams. My marriage is coming apart and my business partnership with my husband, because we also had a consulting business that was coming apart. So everything in my life that I thought was solid, suddenly disintegrated, just like what's going on right now. hmm very much like what's right. And this has triggered a lot of memories for me about when your career crashes, your marriage crashes, your economic foundation is gone, mm-hmm. and then my health co- collapsed. So I was divorced for three years and all of a sudden I was non-functional. I was in bed sick. I spent a whole summer practically in bed. Unfortunately, my mother was able to take care of my kids, but I was I was totally a wreck. I couldn't function. And at that time... Uh, the doctors were not able to diagnose what I had. They didn't know. And you, you were thirty-three, thirty. Yeah, I was about thirty-three. Yeah. Wow. So it was scary. I was terrified because every time I go to the doctor, I get medicine, and then I'd have side effects. And then that doctor would say, well, go see that specialist, because now you've got an infection in your sinus, and now you've got one in your bladder, and now you've got a vaginal infection from antibiotics. And I mean, I was just going all over the place in this HMO, Mm -hmm. every department, you name it, I was there. And nothing was working. It was all getting worse and worse. So one day they told me, oh, oh, that medicine, they called me up, that medicine we just gave you, don't take it. We got your prescription mixed up with somebody else's. And I said, what? what are you saying well if that wasn't your medication and i said well i already started taking it and they said oh no no don't take it anymore come back and get your medication i got so angry i said no i'm not coming back you're not going to see me again no this is the last straw and i went in i threw the phone down i went in the bathroom i took all the medicines out of the cabinet Took the lids off and dumped each one of them in the trash. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but that's not it. So I went back to bed and I sat down and I said, okay, what has made me feel better during this whole time that I've been in bed sick? And the answer was sitting right on the bedstand next to my bed. It was my journal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I had turned my art sketchbooks into journals and I was writing my dreams out and I had started scribbling and drawing these funny little pictures that I didn't understand. And I'd I'd write about them and then I'd sort of feel better. And so I thought, okay, that works. That makes me feel better. I'm going to keep doing that. And then one day I shared that with a close friend and she said, oh, you're doing art therapy. And I said, what's that? Basta weaving in mental hospitals? I'm not doing art therapy. She said, no, no. She said, art therapy is a form of psychotherapy in which you draw your unconscious and your feelings out, or you do it with clay or whatever. You Mm -hmm. do the art, and then you talk about it and you get insights into what's going on. Sort of Mm -hmm. like doing dream work. And I said, well, that is what I'm doing. except I'm writing it in my journal, my insights. And she said, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm telling you, you're doing art therapy. And she said, you know, you really should consider becoming an art therapist because you've got this child development background and you've got this art background. You're a perfect candidate for art therapy. And the Art Therapy Association was only four years old. I mean, we're talking the ground floor, right? So I did a little research and I found out that there was an organization and you could get training. And I found an art therapist, became a client first. And then I, did, I went to school, got my master's degree and became an art therapist.
2: Hmm.
1: And I totally healed myself without medication by drawing my feelings out, by drawing outlines of my body, coloring in where the pain was and doing conversations with my body and asking it. How do you feel? Why do you feel that way? And what can I do for you? Mm-hmm.
0: And how long did that take you to heal uh, yourself? A
1: combination of, uh, not art therapy, because that came later, but the combination of my journaling and uh, going to a therapist for 12 sessions, uh, the whole <laughs> thing turned around by October, November, I'd say, about around December, I was back functioning 100%. Oh my gosh. So from the time I went into therapy, having already kept the journal for about three or four months, that was uh, October. I went into therapy. And by Christmas time, I was I was well. And the doctors at that time never diagnosed what I had. Years later, I met a doctor who was trained in iridology and Chinese medicine and Chinese methods of diagnosis. And he accurately diagnosed what I had had. But he said, you don't have it anymore. What did you do? There's no cure. And I said, I told him what I told you. I said, well, I started keeping a journal, drawing and writing my feelings out. And he said, well, that saved your life.
0: But I've never heard anyone talk about this.
1: Art therapy is used for healing a lot. It's used with Alzheimer's. It's used with cancer patients. Um, and my method happens to take art therapy and concentrate it more in the journal form so people can do it for themselves. You don't oh, okay. need an art therapist to use my method. You can just use the book any of my 23 books. So some of them are for children, some for teens. And I, beyond the books, if somebody wanted to get therapy, they could. Mm-hmm. But you can get a lot just by using the, the journal prompts, with her, which are always drawing and writing and using the non-dominant hand as well. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's talk more about using the non-dominant hand. Did you realize the importance of using our non- dominant hand for drawing and expressing ourselves when you were doing it? Why did you use that hand for drawing?
1: Well, my my first therapist who was doing gestalt therapy and transactional analysis, which works with the inner family, the inner child and the inner parents, Mm -hmm. she had me in my first session after the session at the end. She sat me down on the floor with a big pad of newsprint and she handed me a big fat kindergarten crayon, a black crayon. And she put it in my left hand, and I'm right-handed. And I started to switch over. And she said, no, 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 I want you to use your other hand. And I said, okay, what do you want me to do? She said, I want you to print on this big newsprint paper what you're going to do this week to apply what you just learned in this session. So I sat down, and I spoke it while I was writing it. And I had a, a very pronounced lisp when I was a child, and I started lisping again, the way I did as a child when I was writing this. So I really regressed to being about five years old. And I'm sitting on the floor in the same position I sat as a kid. And with the crayon, and I'm struggling because this is my left hand. I don't know how to write with that hand. I didn't then. And I'm writing, I want to feel my feelings and feel that they're okay.
2: Mm. And
1: it took me a long time. I had to print it very slowly, big letters, just like I was learning to write again. And I wanna tell you, I got up from the floor and I felt like somebody lifted 100 pounds off my back. I was so light and my therapist said to me, you look about 10 years younger. And I said, well, I feel younger and I feel lighter. And I floated out of there. I mean, it was an amazing experience. And then about two or three weeks later, I was working in my journal, and all of a sudden, I started writing about I wanted to have an art exhibit again, of a retrospective of my show, as my work as an artist. And I started to write that, and I heard this critical voice in my head saying, Oh, you can't do that. You've got to go out and get a job. You've been sick too long, and look at your finances, and blah, blah, blah. And it was very critical. And my inner child, who I identify with my non dominant hand, literally yanked to the pen and just just answered back, told that critic off, basically. Before it did that, it drew a stick figure of itself that looked like a little kid, you know, a little round head and a little triangular dress and some little, you know, arms and feet sticking out. And I taught child development. I thought, this looks like the drawing of a Mm three-year-old. And I was shocked. I was like, wait a minute, I'm an artist. I made a living as an artist. I have a degree in art. What is this? It was my inner child. And then I had this conversation. It was really an argument back and forth. The critic telling me what I should be doing and the inner child answering back. That was my big aha moment. It's like oh, I just found a solution to creative blocks. Mm. The critic. And we have to get mad and answer back to it. Otherwise, it'll just strangle us. It was like uh, discovering a new continent. I was absolutely flabbergasted. And when I took my journal to my therapist, I said, look at this. (laughs) She said, oh, my God, do you realize what you've discovered here? I said, yeah, I think I do.
0: So let's talk about what happens to our brain when we're using our non-dominant hand, the connection between the right and the left hemisphere of our brain, and why connecting both is such a big part of what you teach and how it applies to this form of arts therapy.
1: I started researching that after I started doing this and sharing it with friends. I had some friends who said to me, do you know about Roger Sperry's work? He's out at Caltech in Pasadena. And I was in Santa Monica, Southern California. And I said, no, what are you talking about? Well, this woman who had come to a workshop of mine knew Roger Sperry. And she called me up a couple of days after my workshop. and She said, I went to a party the night of your workshop and I told Roger Sperry about what you did and that I felt more creative and I felt more emotional. And I described the impact on me. And he said to me, oh, that's easy. You've gotten in touch with your right brain. She said, you know, this guy is an expert on brain research. I think you're really on to something. You need to take this very seriously.
0: <laughs> so you had all these people confirm that this was something big that you needed to focus on. Yeah,
1: yeah. and I didn't know about the science. I was just uh, winging it, you know, kind of by the seat of my pants. And then as a therapist, I was uh, observing my clients and what was happening with them. So my research was anecdotal. I had all these success stories behind me. And then in the 80s, I met Dr. Penny Baker, James Penny Baker, and somebody had sent me an article about his research. He did scientific research in Texas showing that a group that wrote about trauma compared to a group that wrote about trivia trauma group actually improved their immune system function based on pre and post blood tests in both groups. So by writing about trauma, their blood tests showed that their immune system function had improved. Mm, just by And writing. they made fewer visits to the doctor's office compared to the group that just wrote about whatever they wanted to write about. Wow. And so I met with him in person. He's endorsed my work. And I met with him at Stanford. He was there on sabbatical. And I said, this is mind boggling because this is what I've experienced that I work with cancer patients and all these people and they're turning their illnesses around. And he said, well, of course, you're doing the same thing that we did in our research. You're having them, but you're having them draw about it as well as write. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, if you did our research model with the drawing aspect added, I'm sure you get the same results that we did. And I said, well, I've already gotten those results because I've run cancer support groups. I've seen people go into remission. Mm -hmm. No question about it. So art therapy has been used for people with uh, Parkinson's and all kinds of illnesses, But the work that I do adds that written piece that Penny Baker researched, writing about it as well.
0: If you use your dominant hand, why can't you access the same depth and
1: emotions? Okay, because our dominant hand is hardwired uh, in more ways than one to the left side of the brain, which is our logical, linear language side of the brain. Okay, ABC, one, two, three, Mm -hmm. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 2020, 2021, everything is in a category. It's all neat and nice and packaged in a very logical way. That's what the left brain does, and it does it very well. But the left brain doesn't know from anything about emotions. It does not. Our emotional system is all connected to our right brain, and our right brain is connected to a part of the brain that the left brain has no road into. Physiologically, there's no hallway from the left brain into the center of the brain where the limbic system is. The limbic system is only accessible through the right brain. And so if you want to get in touch with your feelings, you really have to get over into the right brain. So what does the right brain specialize in? Visual spatial perception. That's what artists are dealing with, right? Dancers, architects, designers, we're all dealing with visual spatial Mm -hmm. perception. It also specializes in emotional expression. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Do you think that mothers are more in tune with their right brain?
1: Oh, yeah. No question about it. Yeah, Talk about women's intuition. Intuition is another right brain function. It doesn't have to do with logic. When you have an intuitive knowledge about something, you just know it. You know that something's going on and that your three-year-old is in trouble in the backyard. You can't hear anything or see anything, but you just know it. And you turn around and you get yourself out there. And your kid is lying down on the ground, has fallen down, and is in so much pain he can't even cry. How did you know that? Mm -hmm. How does a mother know that if if a mother is tuned in? If a mother is not tuned in, she won't know it
0: something either you have or you don't have? No, it can
1: can be developed, Develop the same kind of intuition. But if a woman is out of touch with it, uh, as a mother, she can develop it by using this method. Most people are right-handed, okay? Maybe about 10%, depends on the study and the country, because in (laughs) some cultures, people don't even know they were left-handed because they were forced to be right-handed so early. Truly, that's a fact. So the left part of the body, including the left hand, is connected to the right side of the brain. So if you had a stroke or injury in the right side of the brain, it would affect the left side of the body. The left side of the brain controls the right side of the body. Injury, stroke, disease, it's going to affect from the left brain, it's going to affect the right side of the body. So what happens when you write with your non-dominant hand is the same whether you're right or left-handed. The non-dominant, non-writing hand was never hardwired to the language center. So it's illiterate. So what could be better than the illiterate hand to go over to the right brain and access the nonverbal side of the brain? Well, I've done this work since 1976 when I started teaching it formally. Left-handed people get the same results as right-handed people because why? Their non-writing hand never learned to read or write. They don't understand that kind of logic with that other hand. So it's free to access the right side of the brain.
0: Let's just go through quickly when someone draws with their non-dominant hand, so the hand that they don't write with, what's the best way to do it? Should we go back and forth from one hand to the other, like our dominant hand, we ask the questions and then the answer?
1: Yeah, there are two things we do with the two hands. One is the drawing with the non-dominant hand or drawing with both. Okay. Okay. And then the other thing is the written dialogues. And the questions are always asked with the dominant hand, and the answers always come through the Mm non-dominant. We can ask questions of anything, our body, uh, our bank account, another person, an object, our house, whatever it is. You know, anything in our life that is a challenge, we can converse with it. Find out what it is, how it feels, why it feels that way, and what does it want from us? Why is it, why is it there? Why Mm -hmm. is it, what does it need?
0: Do I write the question with my dominant hand or do do I just speak it?
1: No, you write it out. Okay. Because you want to be using both sides of the brain. And then and what, I write it
0: out with the other hand.
1: Right. And when you write with a non-dominant hand, you have to use both sides of the brain. Why? Because you're using the language from the language center, but the content, the message is coming through the right brain from your emotional and intuitive centers. Okay. Because the intuitive center is a very important part of the right brain. And that's where our inner wisdom comes through. Okay.
0: So when I want to have a conversation, I write, write the questions with my dominant hand and answer back with my non-dominant hand. That's right. That's so interesting. And how frequently should we be doing this?
1: Well, you know, it depends. Nowadays, I'm recommending, and I'm certainly modeling this, to do journaling uh, as often as possible. Sometimes I do journaling two or three times a day right now, Mm -hmm. sometimes just once a day. But I'm doing it a lot because I'm, I'm living, as we all are, in very stressful times. And so I need to get these emotions out as soon as possible. I don't want to carry them in my body. Otherwise, I know from experience they will make me sick. Mm-hmm.
0: You say that we don't have to be good at drawing. No. So how do we draw? Like, what do we draw?
1: Well, the first kind of drawing is just scribbling our feelings out. And I I call it warming up before you even get in touch with feelings. Just scribble it out the way your child was doing. First thing children do is they scribble.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Then getting in touch with feelings in the body. If I'm feeling confused about what's going on in the world, where do I feel it? Oh, my head. You know, my head's feeling really heavy. I'm feeling confusion there. All right, draw it out. Or draw an outline of the body and color in the head with all that confusion. What does it look like? Maybe it looks like a bunch of uh, tangled up yarn in five or six colors. I don't know. Or maybe I feel really sad and there's this big heavy weight around my heart. And I draw that in the body. Mm -hmm. And then I dialogue with it. I ask those questions like, what are you? How do you feel? You You say
0: that it's important to keep this private when we do this. Why?
1: Because if we're not keeping it private, then we're going to worry about what somebody's gonna think about it if they read it. And then we're gonna start editing our remarks and we're not gonna be honest with ourselves. Mm. So that's why journaling really, it's not going to work as a personal growth tool if we are worried about what somebody's going to think about it. Now, the other thing for parents is when you use a non-dominant hand, you definitely get in touch with your inner child. And that gives you more empathy for your children. Instead of treating them like little adults that should be doing things faster and better and all that, when we start writing with our non-dominant hand, we realize how slow and awkward it is. And we feel vulnerable and childlike, and that's a good thing. That gives us empathy for our children. Instead of making so many demands on them and expecting them to be farther advanced than they are, we can slow down and go, oh, yeah, yeah, he's only four years old or five, and he's just learning to write, and it is slow. Yeah.
0: so this, you, we can apply in everything in our lives to help us make decisions and know if what we're feeling is truly what we're feeling. Maybe choosing a job or understanding why you're sick in a relationship. Exactly. Yeah, there's many when
1: when I had why. a private practice in Los Angeles, I worked a lot with extremely successful people in the entertainment industry. I also worked with a lot of lawyers and doctors and people like that. They were all very successful, but you know what? Most of them were sick. Some of them have gone into careers that they didn't really want to go into, but their parents pressured them. And so, yeah, they worked hard. They got good grades and they were successful, but they were miserable. They're, they had been married two or three times or their marriage was a mess. Their relationships with their kids were horrible and they were physically ill. And the success added up to nothing. If you don't have your health and your happiness, what have you got? Mm-hmm. And so they would come to me because they'd get referred by either therapists or doctors or friends of theirs who go, you know, you need to find somebody to help you get back in touch with your heart. And that's what this woman does. Go see her, you know, and they give them one of my books and and that's how people would get to me. They had not listened to their heart in years and they were physically sick.
0: I actually found someone had described your books as not only does it help to bring out the best, but it helps to discover that there is a best that is worth bringing out in you. Well, and you
1: know who wrote those words was my dear friend, uh, the late Norm. Cousins, and he healed himself from a life-threatening illness by renting videos and laughing at comedy old films. Laurel and Hardy, Charlie Chaplin. Mm -hmm. And he laughed himself back to good health. So (laughs) he was a great supporter of my work. I knew him and I gave him my first book through a doctor that was in my class who was like what I talked to you about. A doctor who had lost touch with his heart a long time ago and was miserable and came to my journal class. And he gave my book, The Creative Journal, to Norman Cousins and said, Norman, you've got to learn about this woman's work. She's Mm -hmm. changing my life. I'm not going to be an anesthesiologist anymore. I want to be a counselor now.
0: Is this what you say that the work you do, your purpose, this is to help heal hearts and to find the best in all of us?
1: Yes, exactly. To find find our true self and Mm -hmm. allow that self to express in our lives, in our careers, and in our relationships and everything we do. Absolutely. Let's talk about
0: some basic questions about healing our inner child. So how would you describe an inner child, and does everyone have one? or yes. is it yes. us or an? If you're living:
1: If you're a living human being, you've got an inner child? Because here's what the inner child is. The inner child is number one, our bodily sensations. Whenever we're feeling our body, that's our inner child. As a parent, you'll understand this. The first seven years of life are the fastest growth physically, Mm -hmm. okay? So a a child from birth to seven is totally in their body, aren't they? They have to learn with their body. They put things in their mouth to understand what it is. They have to feel it and touch it and pull it apart. That's how they learn. It's all very physical and sensorial. So that's an early stage of childhood It's just the basic physical body. Then the emotion. Now, children have emotions from infancy. But from seven to 14, wow, big emotional development and social development too. So those young feelings that we have, they never go away. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we call it the inner child. Vulnerability, fear, confusion, anger, sadness, depression, all those feelings Those are very primitive, very basic human condition feelings. That's just what we all have. So that's all our inner child. When we grow up, we're taught, oh, don't pay attention to your body. Go to work anyway, even if you don't feel well. Mm -hmm. Oh, don't pay attention to your emotions. Those aren't important. What's important is what's in your left brain. That's what we're going to count on. And that's what we're going to give you grades on. Forget about your emotions. That's nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So we put all of that in the closet. We disregard our bodies, we ignore our emotions, and we can't do that. Now, the other two aspects of the inner child are our need to be creative. That's a human right. And that's another thing that gets thrown in the closet. Forget about creativity, just get a job, Mm -hmm. make a living. Forget about playfulness and adventurousness and expressing yourself. That doesn't count. And then the fourth aspect is spiritual experience. That is the inner child. Not dogma, not religion, but spiritual experience. When we go out and we look at a sunset and we feel that there is definitely a creator or a higher power behind the sunset, we are in our inner child's experience of a spiritual reality. It doesn't have a name on it. We're not going to call it anything that connects to any titles. It's just a, a raw, open, physical, emotional experience of a higher power.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's say we're we're drawing with our non-dominant hand and we're having a conversation with our inner child. You say the age of the inner child makes a difference. It, well,
1: it'll it's- change. It'll change. For instance, when right now the whole world is very much in its vulnerable, very young child, mm-hmm. two years old maybe three years old, maybe younger. That vulnerable child part of us is scared. It doesn't know if it's safe. It's feeling sad because it's lost something. It's lost the things that it used to do. It's lost the places where it used to go. And it's lost the people that it used to hang out with. So there's sadness and there's grief. There's uh, confusion. What's going on? What's going to happen tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Can I go out? Do I have to stay in? Am I going to get sick? Am I, you know, those are all very, very basic young child. That's where young children hang out most mm-hmm. of the time.
0: If I do it and I ask the question, how old are you? And my inner child says two. Does it relate to something that happened
1: when I was two? It might two? very well, but it will certainly relate to feelings you had when you were two. And I have had a lot of clients and friends tell me that they've recently remembered things from childhood because they're feeling the way they did. A friend called me the other day and said, being all cooped up in the house reminded me of when I was a kid and I would get punished. And my mother would say, you can't go out to play. Mm. And, I, and I said, well, how old were you when that was going on? Oh, between the ages of four and about six. And I feel about four, four or five years old now. Mm -hmm. And and I'm getting your book out again. And I'm going to do some inner child work because I feel like a little kid right now.
0: Yeah. 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 You say that unless we become like a child, we will not be healed. What are some things that people have come to you for that needed healing from?
1: Well, one thing is a a connection with one's body. I've worked with a lot, especially women with body image issues. And Mm -hmm. I have a woman I've trained who works with people with eating disorders, most of whom are women of all ages. So a lot of women have come to me. I worked in LA for years. So in Los Angeles, the mania for perfection Mm. in the female body is beyond the beyond. Mm -hmm. Just horrible. Women would come to me and they would just have an inner critic that wouldn't quit about their bodies. And these were gorgeous women. Some of them worked in the movie industry. And if you looked at them, you'd say, she is drop dead gorgeous. That's not how they felt inside. They felt horrible because they were constantly judging their body. So they weren't in their bodies. They were outside looking at their bodies from a judgmental perspective, but they couldn't feel how wonderful their bodies were. They couldn't enjoy being physical. They were always worried about eating, so they couldn't enjoy food. They were always worried about how they looked, so they couldn't enjoy wearing clothes. It was always, well, yeah, well, how do I look in this? You know, it was constant self-judgment. And so one of the pieces of my work that is so powerful is dealing with the critical parent inside of our own head. Mm -hmm. That to me is, if I don't give anything else to the world but that exercise of answering back to the inner critic and telling it to shut up, I'll be happy. (laughs) That's all I contribute. Because people don't know how to do that. They allow this critical parent inside 24-7 to tell them that they're not adequate, that something terrible is gonna happen, that they didn't measure up, they should have done this, they could have done that, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 and it drives people crazy and it makes them sick and it drives them to addiction, Mm -hmm. which is another field that I've worked in a lot. To shut that voice up, we take another drink. We want to anesthetize our body and our emotions. I don't wanna hear that anymore. I'm gonna drink, Uh, I'm gonna take some drugs, I'm gonna go binge watch television. That's what's going to happen right now with people locked up. We're all in solitary confinement here. One thing that and I can predict that it's going to happen, a lot of people's addictions, if they didn't have them already, they're going to kick in right now because people are going to want to get away from what's going on. They don't want to feel their feelings. Mm-hmm. And so They're going to escape even though they're inside. And how will they do it with addictions? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So for mothers, how can that inner critic come up for a mom?
1: Well, it comes up twofold. First of all, it comes inside, directed us, telling us that we're not doing it right. Mm, Yeah. That we're a terrible parent and we're going to ruin our kid's life. And we should have done this, and we could have done that, and why didn't we do this? And then other people around us say the same thing, our mother-in-law, our mother, our aunt, our husband, whoever, and they say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that with your child. Oh, why did you do that? Oh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's why I wrote my book, The Creative Journal for Parents, because- I want parents to understand they have a right to find their own natural way of parenting. We all have parenting wisdom inside if we would just stop to find it. Mm, the experts I outside that. don't know our children. We are the experts on our own children. Yeah. So I don't have much faith in these expert books about how to raise your kids. I think that's poppycock. <laughs> I was a child development specialist. I taught child development. Yeah. But I would tell my students there, nobody knows your children better than you because you're in the room with them. Mm -hmm. Dr. Spock and all these other people, they don't know your kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's all theory. And you know what? Most of those child development experts who wrote those books, they have never changed a diaper. They've never sat up all night with a baby throwing up on their shoulder. You as the parent, you've gone through all that with your kids. They haven't. Mm -hmm. They're just sitting in an ivory towel writing books about it. Mm -hmm. What, What is that? So I tell people, write your own book, do your own journaling about how were you parented? Do you want to parent your kids that way? Yes or no. And then you have to find a new way to do it. What feels right for you?
0: For me, I didn't know being a first time mom, like what to do. And I love to read. So I'm like, okay, I'll read a lot of books and see. I mean, some books I'm like, okay, this is not for me. Some, okay, yes, I'll try that. And I would try some things with my son and... Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. And eventually you learn. But yeah, it just gets overwhelming.
2: Yeah. Because but, one
0: person says, oh, this is right. And oh, that's bad. And then another says, no, that's not right.
1: <laughs> it's. I have had so many students come to me when I was teaching child development. And they'd say, and a lot of them were a little bit older. They'd been teaching in nursery schools. And I was teaching art for teachers young children. And I was also teaching child, family, and community courses. And they were getting their certificate. And they would say, I'm so confused. Mm-hmm. This book says this, that book's the same thing. And I said, you know, you only need two books. Read Montessori because she has the right philosophy. The child has wisdom inside. Help the child find his or her own wisdom and you'll be in good shape. Pay attention to the child and guide the child to find its own way. Her philosophy was right and her teaching method was brilliant. It works, okay? I've taught it, I know. My children are products in Montessori school. And the other book I would say is Tom Gordon's Parent Effectiveness Training, because he teaches really basic nonviolent communication methods there. I trained with Tom. I totally believe it. It works. And it's basically how to active listen to other people, how to feedback to them what you hear them saying so that they know that you're listening and they feel understood. Another method he teaches is sending eye messages. This is how I feel about what you did. This is how your behavior Mm -hmm. is impacting me. I need you to know that. It Mm -hmm. doesn't feel good. And what can we do about it? There are problem-solving techniques that he teaches, brainstorming where everybody's problem-solving together. I did that with my kids when they were growing up. It was wonderful. So the book is... It's called Parent Effectiveness Training by Thomas Gordon. And to me, that and Montessori's books are the only books you'll need to raise children. And the great thing about Tom Gordon's books, he's written other books too for adults, but the great thing about his books is those are very basic communication skills that are now being taught as nonviolent communication by Rosenberg and all these other people. But they all came from the same source from work in the University of Chicago in the 40s and 50s. Tom Gordon and Rosenberg and a lot of these other people trained with Carl Rogers and and learned these techniques of nonviolent communication where you're open to listening listening to other people's feelings, and you're learning to communicate your own feelings to others. Those are the basics. And if you've got those skills, you're fine. And I have some of that at the back of my book, The Creative Journal for Parents, some of the basic Tom Gordon skills in there.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm like...
1: <laughs> it's not complicated. It's so confusing. I know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> For me, I like to keep it simple when it comes to this. You know, some people say you have to like part it and do this and this is categories and this have to be done this time. I'm like, that's too much for me. I miss too much work. I just need to simplify
1: it. The good thing about working with yourself as a parent is if you asked earlier about the critic, if you learn to confront your own inner critic, then you won't turn it outwards. Because what happens is... We get so sick of our self criticism that we start sending our criticism out and then we start criticizing others. Yeah. And I don't have to tell you how devastating that is for relationships. Yeah. If yeah. you send your inner critic out to everybody else, to your, your husband, to your kids, to the neighbors, it's it just destroys relationships. And rightly so. Nobody wants to feel criticized. They put up with that. They shouldn't have to. And they're going to rebel against it. Kids are going to rebel against being judged and criticized and have a perfectionist on their back all the time. I am shocked at how hard we are making children work now. They're not having a childhood. They have to take this class and that class. Maybe now they're going to get a break from that, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But I've been shocked with the last generation of how these kids are being worked to death. They have school, they have homework, and then they have extra classes. And it's like the parents are just throwing all these requirements at them. And the kids never have a chance to just daydream or draw Uh, or, or put on plays in the backyard like we did when I was a kid. You know, I mean, it's just insane. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And it's very stressful for the kids.
0: Oh, my little one just woke up. <laughs> um, okay. So like when people comment to adults, stop acting like a child or stop being a child. I mean, we often think that it means we're naive, weak, emotional, out of control. Are you saying that we should have childlike qualities and tap into that to be our yes. best selves?
1: Good point. Childlike and childish are two different. Mm -hmm. So childlike is a genuine enthusiasm and excitement about life and curiosity. From what I understand, Einstein had that quality. There's a picture of Einstein, photograph of him on a two-wheel bicycle. And if you've ever seen that picture, he looks like a little kid. He was an old man by then with white hair. But he was on this two-wheel bicycle learning how to ride a bike. And maybe he wasn't learning, but anyway, he looked like a kid learning how to ride a bike. And it's just a charming photograph. And here's this sage, brilliant genius of a man. But you see his inner child coming out in that picture. That's childlike. Somebody who's childish, well, I'm going to say it, our president. I'm going to just come right out and say it. This is a man who's childish. Trump is not childlike he's childish. He acts like a little brat. And that is a problem. That's a problem. So whenever an adult is acting childish, they're being selfish. They're being self-centered. They are not concerned with the needs of other people. And they're not really tapping into their best self. Mm -hmm. They They have actually shrunk and regressed down to a much earlier stage of development in a very inappropriate way why because they don't have an aware ego functioning in their life the aware ego in us makes the decision about when we're going to bring our inner child out now if i go to a business meeting with a publisher i'm not going to take my inner child to that meeting i'm taking my protective parent who's a very business like adult businesswoman i'm very effective with contracts Mm -hmm. I've written so many books and I've signed so many contracts. I don't need a lawyer anymore. I can look at a contract and I can sit with the the publisher and say, I don't like this clause here. And I don't say to them because my inner child is going crazy just looking at that. I'm feeling that inside. But who's talking is my protective parent, my businesswoman. Mm.
0: So there are times to bring our inner child out and other times. That when, I go a to parent. Italy,
1: when I go to Italy on vacation, my inner child comes out. Mm. Italy is a real inner child country, but it's a place where the inner child has wonderful food to eat, mm-hmm. beautiful things to see, people around who are having a good time. They know how to have a good time there. Yeah. So that's where my inner child comes out big time, 100%.
0: And you also said in your book, when people play sports, it brings out their inner child dancing or doing plays or things like that.
1: Artwork, making art.
0: art, And often you feel more alive. I know like for us, I love to dance. I feel like a kid. It's like just exactly. letting go and i remember when i was at university i loved to go dance on weekends because it felt like it was releasing all the the stress out and
1: and the inner child is our cre- the root of our creativity is our inner child you don't have to teach children how to dance or sing or scribble or work with clay or put on a play they will do it naturally they will put on clothes and play dress up they'll mm-hmm. make make believe. They do it naturally. You don't have to teach them that. Any nursery school has kids running around making believe because they do it naturally. That's our inner child is our creative self. Mm
0: -hmm. Talk about the role of our inner child in society because society, you see it often it's not safe for inner child. Talk more about that.
1: Well, a world that is concerned only about making money and profits and destroying nature for profit is not safe for the inner child because the inner child in us really relates to nature, to sunsets, to trees, to water, to swimming, to taking walks in the park, all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is our inner child. And when that environment gets destroyed, our inner child is very upset. So anybody who's a real environmentalist is in touch with their inner child. And I can tell you, I saved the forest outside my house. There's 22 acres of forest here between me and the ocean.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I saved that forest Because my inner child was so furious at the idea that people would chop those trees down for profit that I organized all the neighbors and together we saved that forest. Mm -hmm. But what was motivating me was my angry inner child and my protective parent went into gear and organized and got that saved. Mm -hmm. And we got money, we raised money, and we saved it. So it'll never be built on now.
0: Why do you think some people struggle so much with getting in touch with their inner child?
1: Because they were told or they were taught through behavior that your emotions and your body don't count, your creativity doesn't count, and your spirituality are not important. And when those four things go, then the inner child is, is in the closet. And so either through the behavior of the parents or the teachings of the society or the peer group, those four things were broadcast as definitely forbidden or unimportant.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Is there a way to make it safe for inner child to come out?
1: Well, the journal's a great place to practice letting the inner child out. And then if you are using some communication tools like Tom Gordon's, then you can let the inner child out with sending what he called eye messages. This is how I feel about what's going on here. And not letting anybody judge our feelings. That's why that book is so important, Recovery of Inner Child. Because if we don't have a protective parent to stop anybody who says, oh, why are you feeling sad? Or you shouldn't be afraid. Or what's wrong with you? Why are you angry about that? Nobody has a right to question our feelings. Our feelings are our feelings. And there is nobody that can question them or say that our feelings are bad. There's nothing bad about any emotions ever.
0: So our protective parent is protecting us and the critical parent is criticizing us. Got it.
1: Critical parent criticizes us and it also criticizes other people. It turns as the megaphone. When we're tired of the megaphone shouting at us, then we turn (laughs) it outward and we start criticizing other people. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One
0: thing you shared, a suggestion you gave in the book and I love is that if we want to know how being a child looks like, Finding that inner child to start observing how kids play, act, move, speak um, in the real world, like outside and to learn how they connect. Exactly. It's
1: so simple. It's so simple. Oh, yeah. The, the inner child in, in the child is that's their developmental level. So they're there all the time. They're intuitive. They're emotional. They're physical. That's what they specialize in. That's what they're doing. And so if we really want to get in touch with our own inner child, it's great to be here. That's why grandparents really have a wonderful way of being with grandchildren. Because they've had enough life experience and they're distant enough to be able to just enjoy that child's existence. Mm. Unless they're a really pushy grandparent, usually it's just like, oh, you know, they'll pinch the kids' cheeks, come and sit on my lap, and, you know, it's just real cozy and fun. Mm -hmm. And and grandparenting is very different than parenting is. I always tell uh, older people, grandparenting is the reward for having had kids. It's the absolute reward. Because you can just have fun with them and then send them back home to their parents. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that. (laughs) The fun part, it really is. And older people, in a way, if they've allowed themselves to get in touch with their inner child, they can really enjoy little kids in a way Mm -hmm. that... We couldn't when we were were young people and busy making a living and raising little kids, you know, and my hat goes off to all of you. Raising children right now is really difficult. It's way more difficult than it was when I was doing it. And I, my heart goes out to you. My hat is off to you. I mean, you guys are just doing an amazing thing right now. And uh, don't ever forget that really pat yourselves on the back for even doing it. I think young parents don't give themselves enough credit for how difficult it is and let me add one other piece it was not until my generation and my mother's generation that the human race created the nuclear family and the nuclear family is a big mistake industrialization brought that about families were meant to be extended as a support system and the old phrase it takes a village well it takes an extended family to raise children So raising children alone is not normal. It's not natural. And it's not the way the human race has ever done it before. We invented that in the industrial age and that is a really sad thing. It's really sad and I know because I was alone with my children. We didn't have two cars and I was living in the country. My husband was off at work with the car and I was alone. I I know what sheltering in place is like because I had two little kids at home alone and I was there all alone all day, every day, five days a week with these two little kids. Mm -hmm. I wasn't raised that way. I was raised in an Italian neighborhood in Los Angeles. Anybody in the neighborhood was a relative. I could go in house. House, go to the bathroom get a drink of water take a nap play with their dog mm-hmm. because we were all related on that street it was like it was like being in italy
0: yeah when i think about it i do miss that yeah. um because growing up for me it was amazing you know we we had that sense of community yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. i want young parents to understand that we have all been doing something that the human race never did before For bad or for good, there are some pluses and there are a lot of minuses with being in a nuclear family with parents and children in a household without extended family and help. And it's, it's a huge, huge job.
0: And yeah. I think that's why a lot of mothers in my generation struggle more because then it's like, you're a mom, but why aren't you working? And so you should be working. Mom sure. It doesn't bring any money. So you have to leave the house. So people are working and being a mom and then... Trying to do all the millions of activities and
1: well, and and then there are the single moms like I was that I, after my divorce, after ten years of marriage, and I had kids that were seven and eight. Now I'm on my own and I have to make a living because I didn't get enough alimony to survive. I got mm-hmm. child support and that was about it. So I had to go to work. And there are a lot of single mothers out there, so they have to work. The expectations on women these days are just you know really bone crushing. <laughs> It's very, very, very difficult. And I say this to women, you know, appreciate what you're doing. You're taking on a giant, giant challenge in this whole structure of our society. Mm -hmm. And don't ever forget that, you know, give yourselves credit for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It it feels good to hear you say that. (laughs) Well, I'm one of the elders of the tribe. And I and I lived in the middle of the generations. I was raised in an extended family mm-hmm. until we moved to another neighborhood. And yeah. then I was in shock because I couldn't go into any house. Mm-hmm. I couldn't talk to just anybody on the street yeah. and, and know that they were a relative and that they cared about me. Mm-hmm. Now I'm su- surrounded by strangers. And I didn't even know what a stranger was until I was four and a half years old. Yeah.
0: I know. Let's talk about something talked about quickly. So when we keep all of these emotions um, inside us, it can make us sick. But you said something very interesting that sometimes the only way our inner child can get our attention is through sickness, is literally making you sick.
1: Right. Um, And I can't tell you how many of my clients and how many pages of my journal prove that out. We know that a very large percentage of heart attacks happen on Monday morning. Why is that? Monday is when you go back to work. And if people's heart is not in their work, guess what? their heart will go on strike. It'll just say, I'm not not going anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have had so many clients and readers send me their journal work in which their body said, the reason I'm sick, when they did that dialogue, you know, what are you, how Mm -hmm. do you feel, and why, and what can I do to you? The answer have often been, I'm sick and tired of this work you're doing, or I'm really have had it up to here with this relationship or with the place you're living or whatever, and I'm on strike. I'm just not going to do it anymore. Mm. That's why you're in bed sick. One or another version of that answer is so common that I've come to expect it now when people are sick. If they do that dialogue, their body just says, I'm on strike. I'm not doing that stuff anymore. Your heart's not in it. Your soul's not in it. Not doing it. Bye. That's it. Mm. And when they say, well, what can I do to help you? Well, get a new career, get a new job, quit that job, get out of this relationship. It'll tell you specifically what it wants. And it's very simple, very clear. But the person hasn't been able to do it, so the body does it for you. To that end, I developed a coaching program called Visioning Coaching. And the Visioning Coaching starts with magazine photo collage before they come to work with me. And the client has to get my book, follow the instructions, and make a big vision board. And then we use that vision board for 12 weeks And I work them right through that book with journal activities for them to do at home. And then I do gestalt-like work with them. And they become the images in the collage. And I interview them in their imaginary persona. And they can imagine themselves as a place or a thing or a pet, an object, a person. And they bring those images to life. And when they do, they live right into their dream. And they manifest their heart's desire.
0: Wow. I love that. Oh my gosh. I'll have to do that because I've heard people say, do a vision board. But It's not I've-
1: enough to do a vision board because if your unconscious has a lot of blocks and you've got an inner critic that's blocking you, you won't manifest that vision board because there's something inside of you that is saying, no, 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 you can't, you don't deserve that. You can't afford that. You're too old for that. You're too young for that. It has all these reasons why you can't live your dream out. But if you don't know that, then you get depressed and you just feel awful because you did the the vision board and it's not happening in your life. You're doing a lot of work with your hands first to make the board. And then when I have them do uh, what we call voice dialogue, I'll have them show me their collage. And then I'll say, pick an image that just jumps out at you. And they might say, oh, that tree there, it's a big oak tree. Great. I want you now to stand wherever it feels right then. And I want you to become that oak tree. And then I say, all right, tell me about yourself. Well, I have very deep roots in the ground. I'm really solid. Uh, Nobody can push me over, I've got a big trunk and I have all these wonderful leaves and I'm out here in nature. And so what are we doing now? We're finding qualities in that person that they need in order to make their dream come true. Maybe their dream was to start a business. Well, they need the ability to feel solid and strong and productive in order to own a business. So they're embodying the qualities. Why did they put that tree in there? Because their unconscious was saying, you know what, you need to remember the qualities of this tree pick that out of that magazine and put it in your collage Mm. and a lot of times people say i didn't know why i put that in my collage Yeah, I almost threw it in the trash. But something said, yeah, put that tree in there, you know? And I hear that so often. They're surprised by what they put in there. Well, it's because they're listening to their unconscious. It's like having a dream on paper. This kind of gestalt type dialoguing and they embody it.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I just want to mention one last thing before we end that I thought was interesting. In your book, you said that we learn early on that caring for others, but not ourselves... Put others first, being selfish, love others as you love yourself. But what happens when you don't love yourself?
1: Yeah, that's a problem. We're trained to put other people first and put ourselves last. And those are the people that get rewarded. Why? The people who are selfish, who are getting the benefit of our giving to them, are being benefited. Mm-hmm. They don't want us to take care of ourselves because then we might have to say no to them sometimes. So we nurture selfishness in others by always giving to them. If we don't save some for ourselves, we end up being resentful or we get sick and depressed. Wow, that's so powerful. That's why I'm saying the nuclear family is very challenging. Women, mothers, fathers need time for themselves. Yeah. It's hard to get that if you're with your children all day every day. It doesn't mean you don't love your children. It just means you need to restore and replenish your own energy. And there's no chance to do that. if we. And this is what we're facing right now during COVID-19. I'm getting parents calling me, emailing me. I'm going crazy. I'm with the kids all day, every day. What am I going to do? I can't leave them. I don't have. I can't get a babysitter. You know, my husband and I are arguing. I mean, it's just, it's chaos. We're all under the same roof all day, every day. So what
0: would you say to that? Do you say like take a time during the day to maybe go in another room by yourself? Absolutely.
1: And- yes. Take turns. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is do the scribbling with the kids. They've got a lot of emotions to get out too. So get a bunch of clay if you have it or make some Play-Doh. Or get some paper, even newspapers, magazines, it doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be fancy, and scribble together.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know what my kids love to do? They love to
1: rip the pages. Absolutely. Get old magazines and have my. They just rip it. I have a daughter who's now a college professor. When she used to get upset when she was a preteen, she'd get telephone books and rip them apart. Very smart. And I thought, great. I applauded that. Great. You've got a lot of frustration, you know, preteen years. Oh my goodness. Rip those telephone books apart.
0: Oh my gosh. That's yeah. so helpful.
2: of yeah.
1: that paper. Clay is wonderful. When In our play. Head Start program, when I was running that, we would have clay and these kids would come in and they would just punch that clay and hit it and pound it, stick their fingers in it, pull it apart, throw it on the table. Fantastic. A safe place to get all that stuff out. Kids are going to get real antsy now being inside a lot. I mean, they can go out, but being inside. So all that energy has got to come out. This art is a fabulous way. Dancing, put music on, let them dance, let them stop if they're angry. Give them a safe place to do it. Create Mm. a structure for that. I love that. This is the time to let it all out. Yeah. Let me tell you what's going on in the world right now. The human race is destroying the planet. And I believe at another level, we're being told, go to your room. Time out. I woke up one morning. I don't know whether it was a dream or whether I imagined it, but I saw Mother Earth saying, all right, all of you, go to your rooms and stay there and think about (laughs) it. And don't come out until you're ready to play fair, respect one another, and stop the violence. Period. That's it. So there's another agenda going on here besides that we're fighting this virus. And the virus is telling us in my journal, Wisdom, I have wisdom guides that I channel come through my journal. And it said that what's happening right now is that we have to go inside, all of us. Mm-hmm. And we have to find the truth inside of us. And we have to get control of all of the things that are out of control, that have gone out of control. We need boundaries and limits around the elements that are out of control in our society. So that can mean whatever it means to you. So we're having to ritualize that by putting boundaries around our bodies, putting masks on, staying inside. Those are all boundary setting. We're constantly doing that: Cleaning the surfaces, washing our hands, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are, we are being forced to ritualize boundary setting. That's the protective parent in us. And the whole society needs to take that to heart. We need to start setting some boundaries around all this stuff that's gone out of control.
0: Yeah, I believe that. To sum it up, doing this will allow each one of us to be honest with ourselves and to reconnect with the real
1: us. So, where right. can
0: listeners find more about you, your work, websites? Well,
1: workshops? they can go to my website, LuciaC, L U C I A C.com, and they can also go to my YouTube channel, Lucia Capacioni, L U C I A. C-A-P-A-C-C-H-I-O-N-E. And I have a couple of videos in a series that I'm producing. It's called The Creative Journal Goes Viral. And it's about living in a world with COVID-19 and using journaling as a way to heal ourselves and to cope with what's going on at all ages. My second video is all about how to use it with children from toddlers on up because they can scribble. You can give a journal to a child who's two. If they can scribble, they can keep a journal. Yeah.
0: And I know your books are all on Amazon, so Right, that's absolutely. Great. And, and then
1: I have a blog called the Power of Your Other Hand dot And that has dozens of people's wonderful stories about how they use their non dominant hand for drawing and writing and healing themselves and healing relationships and becoming more creative. There's all kinds of stories on there, on that blog. So I definitely recommend people Mm. put that out.
0: I just want to finish with one question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. So we all know that being a mother is a roller coaster of emotions and experiences. Keeping motherhood inspired, what one thing have you found kept you inspired and energized throughout? your mom journey?
1: I would say creativity. Uh, Doing creative projects with my children, teaching them silkscreen printing, and doing painting and art with them, and having an art corner in the kitchen when they were children. The creativity that we all experienced together and that I role modeled for them was to me my great gift to them, and it was a great gift back seeing their creativity develop. That was just a joy
0: thank you for listening to another episode of citrus love keeping motherhood inspired podcast if you think someone would enjoy to listen to this episode please share it with them you can share the link wherever you're listening or go to our website at www.citruslove.com episode and the number where you will find the episode as well as all the information about the guest's or the specific episode the best way to get our podcast ranked is by leaving me a review wherever you're listening two three four five six stars whatever you feel reflect podcast this will not only let me know what needs to be improved as well as what you particularly love make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get the next episode and thank you so much for listening talk to you next time
2: bye guys